So what is it about uh, our culture, the life we live in, uh, that has a poverty of marriage? I mean, I could quote statistics, I could do all kinds of things, I could delve into uh, some of your lives and, and we would see that, as Justin was talking about up here, what is it that makes us think that we can put two people who, who, who are coming from um, some type of broken family relationship, now, even if you have the perfect family, it's, 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 there's some brokenness in it, and, and put them together and uh, put them in a confined space, uh, give them a couple kids and a dog and think it's like going to be life happily ever after. Um, it, it, it doesn't really happen. And so I, I'd like to to start sort of maybe at the beginning this morning, and, and we don't have quite enough time, uh, although um, we, we could go a long time here with this. Um, I'm sure you wouldn't appreciate that, but uh, I, I think it, it has to do with the way we're raised as humans. I, I think um, the problem with marriage is, is how we see ourselves in our singleness, you know, it's about math, and we've seen this math, one plus one equals one. Uh, Dan shared us, you know, with the idea that, that this idea of we are created in the image of a God that exists in three persons, one God in three persons, pretty crazy stuff, but uh, one plus one plus one equals one there, and we come along and we don't necessarily see ourselves in our singleness as a whole person. We don't understand our identity as, as core. Our identity is not in our sexuality. You know, our identity is, is not in our vocation. Our identity is not in our social relationships. Our identity is found in our created order. God created us in his image. We come whole as an individual. And, and because of that, um, we have a hard time. Most people who get married, I, I, I have had the misfortune or fortune, however you look at it, of performing a lot of weddings in my life. People often ask me, what's your batting average? <laughs> you know, it's like, how, how many of those people have stayed together? And, you know, I, I shudder to figure that out. You know, it's, what, what is my batting average? Um, I don't think anybody's is, is very good because what happens is you take half a person and you put them together with another half of a person we think we're going to make a whole. And, and that's just not the case. We, we have to see ourselves as a whole person first and foremost. And we live in a world, a coupled world, and so those of you who, who aren't married, used to be married or, or widowed and, and that kind of stuff, you, you struggle uh, existing in this coupled world, everything comes in twos. And even when you go someplace, it's like you need a plus one. And it's like, really? Because the fundamental success of, of relating as a husband and wife is not found in sort of the marriage passages in the Bible. Not found in the passages of roles and that kind of stuff. It's found in the fundamental passages about people. And what God expects us to do, the posture we have toward one another. 
And when we have those kinds of things, that identity is set, and we have that as our pathway, then all of a sudden it, it makes it easier to relate to someone in a relationship. See, I think there are just a couple simple things that we have to, to come to grips with in, in this whole idea of, of marriage. Uh, one is, is, is it, it is God's idea. You know, I, I don't have the right to tell you who you can love. I, I don't have that right. I'm not the creator. I, I'm not the designer of life. But if you're going to sort of move in the spiritual world and you're going to take the Bible and, and believe that it is God's word come down from, from heaven and, and it is inspired in the sense it's God's worthy of being listened to more than anything else, anyone else, even yourself, even your feelings, even your emotions, even what you want. God is what he says matters most becomes for me one of those fundamental issues. Fundamental we have so much going on in our culture today. You know, you, you can be banned from the right and you can be canceled from the left and you can all that kind of stuff. We, we don't have any moral fixed ground anymore in our world. And I'm, I'm going to stand here this morning and speak against all of that to say that I believe this is the fixed moral ground. That what God says matters more than anything else. It was God's idea to put a man and a woman together. In that first created order in Genesis 1, God created Adam, he created Eve, and he brought them together. And in Genesis 2, we get the first marriage ceremony. We get the first moment where we find out what does marriage mean. You know, I have, I have so many people that, that ask me questions that, that they want me to answer the big questions in their life, you know, um, we, we haven't been married, but we're living together. Is that okay? And it's like, we, we don't have a sheet of paper. We don't think a sheet of paper defines our relationship. And it's like, well, I, I don't think the, the Clay County people really have anything to do with your marriage. That, that, that's not it. They weren't around in that moment when God created Adam and Eve. No county clerk or whatever it is. But right there in Genesis chapter 2, we get this first marriage ceremony that has those two vital things. It says that, that God put Adam and Eve together. And it, it says that they left their mother and father, they left home, and the two became one. And so there was really, if you just spend a little time sitting in that, you see two things there. One is, is that there's a commitment to one another. And then there's a public stance to live as husband and wife. That's what brings a marriage together. That's what the Bible is thinking about when it uses the idea of marriage. I commit. I committed 40 plus years ago to live with Candy Sutterby, Candace Stone Sutterby in an apple orchard overlooking the St. Lawrence River. We said some words together, and we've lived out that life. And I am 
proud to call her my wife. I, I think she's proud to call me her husband. You can check on this afterwards. Um, and and that's, that's our public stance. And that's what God does in Genesis chapter 2. He, he gives us this idea that this is what a marriage looks like. And then as we move through the Bible, we begin to see these fundamental truths about how do we relate to one another. Now, I, I love... Uh, the passage in Ephesians 5, uh, that, that's where the word submission comes in. I know, you know, you've, you've been waiting for me to drop that shoe, right? It's like, if he says that, I'm out of here. <laughs> By God, I, you know. And, and, and what I love about that passage, I, I actually, um, if you want to read something that's just scintillating, I wrote a master's thesis on it. Um, You can Google it, <laughs> and you won't find it. Um, <laughs> but the fact is, is that the, the, the passage is um, right in Ephesians 5, verses, verse 21. There's, a, there's five things that are said in like verse uh, 17 through 21, and the last of them is um, this idea of submitting to one another. You see, fundamentally as individuals, we don't have this concept of our posture toward a father in heaven. As Americans, uh, we have developed this moralistic, uh, this, this, this kind of theistic deism that, that sort of is devoid of God, except that we have a pair of scissors and when he speaks, if we don't like it, we cut it out and we toss it away rather than following what Jesus said when he said, look, if you love me, if you want to follow me, if you want to obey me, you, you, you would like to be a learner growing in obedience to all that I've said, then do what I say. Just do what I say. You know, we're going to spend eight weeks uh, for the Lent season talking about the genius of Jesus. The genius of Jesus. I mean, does Jesus ever show up on a genius list for you? And yet, he's the smartest person that ever lived. The smartest human being. Now, unfortunately for us, he gets, a, he gets the deity thing. He's God came in the flesh, so he, he has an advantage there. But the fact is, is that Jesus is interested in us leaning into what he says. Not, not because he, he wants to create some box that, that we have to live in, but because he believes that he wants more for you than you want for yourself. That his love for you, his concern for you, his desire for you, his, his sense of joy and, and passion and freedom is found in doing what he says, not in doing what you want. And, and unfortunately, for most of us, when we do the math, when we think about doing this math, it's half plus half equals whole. And, and the fact is, is that there's always a math problem with that. It's like, I'm concerned that my wife gives me 50%. Right? If, if, if that's my, 50, what's 50%? 
I'm not quite sure, but she never really does give me 50%. She might approach 49 sometimes, but, but she never gives. So I am not going to approach 50 until she approaches 50. I'll, I'll get there. You know, it's this little detente, negotiation. And, and, and that's, that's really a recipe for disaster. It, it, it is. In, in Philippians 2, it, it is, for me, the fundamental passage in the Bible about marriage. Now, you know, most people, if you know the Bible in, at all, you're sitting there going, What? There's nothing in Philippians about marriage. Well, there is, actually. In Philippians 2, we find an example of what God wants for the posture that you and I have. That posture of fundamentally understanding who we are and what the pathway to the best life we could possibly live is. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. Now, he just said before that, you know, really the, the, what he's asking. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value one another above yourselves. Not looking for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Imagine if that was the theme of your marriage relationship. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, valuing one another above yourselves. Now, I know what's happening right now inside you. You're thinking, I hope my spouse is listening. <laughs> right? Because we fundamentally feel like we deserve something. We've got something, you know, coming here. But, but look at Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in a human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest places and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus went down. He went to the cross. He humbled himself. He could have taken himself off the cross. He could have snapped his fingers, winked his eye, wiggled his toe. Whatever he wanted to do to keep that from happening. It was within his power to not have to submit. And yet, he went all the way to death. And Paul is saying, look, that's, that's the posture we have toward one another. That's the kind of way we look at one another. Imagine if that were happening in your relationship right now. Imagine, for those of you who have had a relationship crack up, imagine what that would have been like to experience that in that relationship. You see, the key here is realization that God is interested in working in me and through me to do something for me. Now catch that for, if you, if you don't catch that, then, then you miss everything. God is 
interested in doing something in me so he can do something through me so he can do something for me. You know, I mean, the sad fact is, for those of you who are married, you have paid more attention to your car than you have your marriage. You get your oil changed, I hope. You know, that tire indicator comes on on the dashboard. You know, you need air, you stop by quick trip and you fill it up. You know, we, we pay more attention to the mechanical things in our life than we do our relationships. What's the last book you read about marriage? What's the last experience you went to? What's the last time you invested in that relationship? Oh, you want to play pickleball, no doubt, right? <laughs> and and, and here, here's the thing. You know, God is, is really pro-sex. He invented sex. I mean, he invented penises and vaginas. He did the whole thing, right? Nervous? <laughs> he, he, he did it all. It was his idea. Orgasms were his idea. He wants that for every couple. But the problem is we find ourselves wanting to sort of bypass some of God's stuff. He says, look, those things belong in a marriage. Those things belong in a couple who have committed to one another and have made public their willing to live as husband and wife. And there is massive freedom. And there is beauty in that as they come together and submit themselves to one another and find themselves attempting to care for one another is more important than themselves. All of a sudden, a whole new world opens up. And this idea of love math starts to work. Because in that one plus one equals one, we don't lose our identity. We don't become someone who is walked over or someone who is forgotten about. We become the person that God's always intended us to be because he wants to do something in us so he can do something through us so he can do something for us. That's the math of great life. And unfortunately for most of us, we, we fail to let God do something in us. We have this moment. We say, God, I don't feel like this is the right thing to do. I have these strong feelings and God says, look, I know you don't feel that, but I want for you more than you want for yourself. I, I am more interested in you experiencing joy and pleasure than you can ever imagine. But I created you. I made you in my image. I designed life in such a way that you can find what you ultimately want, but you can't find it if I can't do anything in you. Because if I can't do anything in you, I can't do anything through you. And if I can't do anything through you, I have trouble doing things for you. It, it's a calculation. It, it's kind of love math that works for us. 
You know, it, it's why we have a marriage community here. It's why we have a group of people who are committed to providing experiences for you and I so that, that we can work on this relationship. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. What happens is the same thing that happens if you fail to pay attention to the lights on your dashboard in your car. Bad things happen. Money drains out of your bank account. You get mad at, at, at people because you're spending so much money on mechanical things because you just simply fail to put oil in a car. And guess what? Engines don't work if they don't have oil in them. Relationships don't work if you don't make investments in them. Most of us are embarrassed. Most of us are embarrassed because we think, wow, I don't want anybody to know that our relationship is hurting. Well, let me help you out here. Everybody knows. I mean, it's no secret People know. So who, who cares what people know? What you should care about is that relationship. You should care about finding what God desires for you. His passion for your marriage is far more than your passion. So join him in that. Let him start doing something in you so he can do something through you. So he can do something for you. It's what Marriage math is all about. But you have to make that investment. You have to come and say, look, I am going to do something. But it's fundamentally what happened in Genesis 2 with Adam and Eve. Now, fortunately for them, they didn't have anybody else to go to. Right? No, no, no attraction, no draw, no nothing. No phone, you know, to endlessly scroll through their Facebook feed or their TikTok feed or whatever to distract them from the pain that they're in. You know, no ESPN to watch endlessly the same play over and over and over. You can only see that hole-in-one at the 16th hole, you know, at the Waste Management or the WM uh, Open so many times, you know, but you got to see it from every angle. Wasting time. Entertaining ourselves to death. Rather than making a commitment to one another rather than coming to find out what's the red dot here? Where are we? Where, where are we? And is our communication good? How do you feel about it? How do I feel about it? How, how are, how's our relationship sexually? Are you satisfied? Am I satisfied? I mean, those, those kind of discussions, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't get a chance to have a camera in every one of your houses. Just a few, so we can make these dramas up here, okay? Just a few. Um, and I'll tell you who you are afterwards if you'd like. Um, but, but the fact is, is that the quality of our discussions are pretty, pretty poor. And it doesn't happen unless there's input. It doesn't happen unless there's energy. It doesn't happen unless I'm willing to say to God, first of all, I want you to do something in me. I, I, I want you to do something in me. I, I, I want to be who you have designed me to be. And so if, if I'm willing to do that, if I'm willing to be who you want me to be, 
then I have the opportunity to grow to be the person that God intends. There's a lot of fear there. Good morning. I no, I'm not actually. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I need to do something for my wife for Valentine's. You know, but but I I, I was born in Japan, so I don't know if that means anything to you, but it means a lot to me because in Valentine's the women do things for men. <laughs> so, you know. Just, just saying, and my, my wife was born in Taiwan, I don't know if it's that, they do that there too, but you know, I've helped her understand over the years Japanese culture uh, on this holiday, um, but I diverse. <laughs> so um, the fact is, is that you and I have to make an investment. We do have to make an investment in a relationship, and, and the question is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to, to really make that investment Read a book, attend an experience, take a course, talk to one another, grab 10 questions out there off that deal and, and use them tomorrow. Whether you're at McDonald's or you're at some fancy Plaza 3 restaurant, whatever it is, you know, talk about it. Hardy's, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, whatever it might be, you know, whatever it might be, do something about it. Because that's the beginning of God doing something in you, is that commitment, that willingness to commit. You know, my marriage wasn't always happy. It wasn't always fun. We, we had a, a, a horrendous first year. Uh, Candy and I, if you've ever related to either of us or seen us relate to one another, you realize that um, we both have strong opinions about things. And, and, and we both have this fundamental basic um, assumption that we may not always be right, but we're never in doubt. And, and you bring those two things together and there's a lot of friction and it's, it's just by God's grace that we made it out of our first year of marriage. But it wasn't long into that time when there was a moment that I was in graduate school and she was working and gaining most of the income. I was doing a little work on the side, and I had not invested in my relationship. And so one day we worked at the same place. I go to work at lunch and usually see her at lunch. She's in the lunchroom or someplace. She's not there. And, and after a couple of hours, two and a half hours, uh, uh, she comes back from lunch. She had been to lunch with her boss. Um, and, and you can imagine um, the scenario that began to unfold as her boss had taken her to lunch and asked her to leave me and divorce me and marry him. And I'm sitting here almost stunned because I was just clueless in some ways. Just clueless. And at that point, I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision whether I was going to love my wife like Jesus Christ loved the church. In Ephesians 5, gentlemen, it says that. It says, you love your wife. And that's the beauty of standing up in public. Oftentimes when I'm on this stage and I'm, I have a young man up here who's committing himself or even an older man committing himself to, to live 
as husband and wife, I always say to him, you know, you're taking upon yourself one of the most difficult relationships you, and, and commitments you could ever make. Because when you look through the Bible, the way Jesus loved us is while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. So, here was my wife coming to me, telling me that she was in the throes of, of amazing emotional problems because this guy that we had both worked for had taken her out to lunch and asked her to leave me and go with her. And I had to make a decision. Were my feelings hurt? Yeah. Was I pissed? Yeah, I was. Did I want to rip his throat out? Yes, I did. But fortunately, and this is, this is only God. God did something in me. He let me look at her. It was like, I want to live for the rest of my life with you. And I made a commitment. We're going to make it through this. We're going to figure this out. I, I fundamentally didn't have really the maturity. I was a snotty-nosed, 20-something kid with you know, very little experience. But yet somehow, someway, I just stuck a stake in the ground and I said, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. And, and it was that commitment. It was that fixation on the truth that God had brought us together as husband and wife. That allows us to be here today. It allows us the opportunity to have the kind of relationship we have. Because I decided, I made a decision, God, do something in me. I'm, I'm not the husband I need to be. I need to be a better husband. I need to love my wife more significantly. She needs to feel your love coming through me. And so he began to do something in me so he could do something through me. And so now he's done something for me as we celebrate 40 plus years of a relationship. But it, it starts fundamentally when we decide to, to make an investment. When, when we decide to put something in, put some energy, put a commitment and say, look, it may be a wreck right now. Uh, it, it may be okay right now. Uh, we, we may be in the 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 the, the Aura and glow of glory in our relationship. But I can guarantee you it won't always be that way. There's a gravitational pull towards chaos in every relationship. And so the need to fundamentally say, Father, I'm going to let you do something in me. I'm going to make a commitment to make an, an investment in my relationship. I, I'm going to be the person, the whole person that you have created me to be. So that I can relate to the whole person that you've created alongside me. So that we can live as husband and wife. And experience the joys that you have set before us. And it starts right back here. Father, do something in me. So I can watch you do something through me. So I can enjoy what you do for me. Let's pray. Father, I just lift up the, the men and women here in this room who are married. Um, I, I pray for whatever the 
the quality of their relationship as they might judge it. Uh, I, I pray that you would allow them to, to take a deep breath and to understand that you are invested in them right where they are. That they don't have to be someplace they're not. They don't have to do, be someone. Or, that you want to meet them right where they are. And that you, in fact, could do something in them that would amaze them. And they could watch you do something through them as they experience what you do for them. Father, I pray for courage. Pray for courage to say, I'm willing to work. I'm willing to invest. I'm willing to to go out there and get those 10 questions. I'm willing to go to a learning experience. I'm willing to take a course. I'm willing to read a book. I'm willing, I'm willing to read the scriptures again. I'm willing. It starts with that moment, Father. And Father, I pray for those in this room who aren't married. I apologize for those of us who are for, for making this world seem like it's so coupled and for devaluing their singleness. Father, I pray that they would feel the wholeness that you have for them. The wholeness that you've built in them. And, and not see themselves, because they're not coupled, as a part or as a half or, or less than. But they would understand that they are whole, made in your image. And all of these truths that come out of Philippians 2 are necessary for them to experience the kind of life that you want. Father, thank you. Thank you that you didn't leave us alone, but we would confess that we, we, we have not done the things that you've asked us to do. We've, we've failed to make the investments in our relationships that we should have made, that we could have made. But Father, today is a different day. Today is a day that we can say, that's the past. The future will be different. I refuse to remain passive. I refuse to not invest in the relationship that you've given me. Father, may that be the courage that we all have. In Jesus' name, amen.